Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. I got a little funny story for you from the other day. I try to give you little stories about things that go on in my little life around this city. And I had one that happened the other day that I think that many of you will find to be very entertaining. So getting the elevator in my building, right? And I live in Harlem, and I do contend that the notion of just how white Harlem has gotten is a little bit overstated. That being said, my building, pretty white. So I get in. I go around the corner. I walk in the elevator. And it's two women. And they got both of them got uh, them, them, uh, them two seater strollers, right, for the two kids. And then each of them also has two kids who are too big for the stroller or there just wasn't enough stroller space for everybody. But anyway, it's four kids. So it's four kids standing. It's four kids in the strollers. We got eight kids in the elevator. Seven of those kids are white. One of those kids is black. And one of the black kids is sitting in the stroller. Now, I got some questions about how the little African-American child wound up in this place. Again, he's in the stroller. Like, I don't know if they adopted him. You know what I'm saying? I got no idea. Anyway, kid was there. I step into the elevator. And I cannot begin to explain to you how happy that little black boy was to see me step on that elevator. I walked in the elevator. I looked at him. I gave him a little smile, and he got the biggest smile on his face. I get a little closer. I put my hand up a little bit. He puts his hand up to dap me up. He don't even seem like he old enough to be in a position to be dapping me up. And so then after I dap, you know, he daps me up, the little, the little homie that's in the stroller with him, he reached over and he dapped me up also. Like, he wants to be down with the crew. And I'm like, damn, does it start that young? Does it start that young where you are the only black person around all these white folks and then you see any glimmer of negritude approach and suddenly everything is better because you don't feel so alone? Like, does it start all the way back there? Again, I have no idea how much time this little African-American child has spent being around white people because, as I just told you, he was in the double-decker stroller. Like, I really don't know. Like, you don't get the two-sided stroller unless you got two kids that's of that size. You get what I'm saying? So, like, I don't have an answer for why it is that he was there with these people. I don't know where they were going. I don't believe that the women pushing the strollers were nannies, though I guess maybe they are. I have no idea. I, I, I don't I, I don't know, but that little African-American child was right next to people keep putting in twins. I don't really know what your point is here about twins. I'm talking about a black kid and a white kid. They are obviously not twins. If they are, somebody would have put them little jokers on television already. Oh, my man after that says agreed. Yeah, agreed. Anyway, uh, but he was so happy to see me. And then when he got off the elevator and they turned that stroller around, he turned his head as far as he could to watch as far as it went away. I hated to leave him, man. It seemed like he needed a partner, and I was there for him. But I could only be there for him 
until this floor came. So who knows, man? Maybe some of this stuff is innate. Or, like, I need some baby thought bubbles. So I could get in that elevator, and it'd be right over his head. He'd be like, man, these white folks is tripping. Like, maybe they was in there talking about politics. You know? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe the white folks was in there talking about Bernie. Could it have been that? Anyway, to your questions, stop asking about sports. Why argue about music? It's a matter of taste, and everyone is free to make their own list. If someone doesn't like Prince, for example, I may judge them for that, but who am I to tell them what sounds good to their ears? As for lists, I'm pretty sure song sounds the same regardless of which list it is or isn't included on. Maybe I'm missing something, though. One thing it does appear that you are missing is like your own show. Holy shit. Do you see how long that was? Like, that's like a column. Is that like that seems to exceed a tweet? There appears to be more than 280 characters. Anyway, why do people argue about music? Because people enjoy arguing about stuff. Like, that's why the list as a construct is such cash money for media because people, and, and you can't help yourself. Like, I admit, I wind up on those things and I cannot help myself. Like, I did okay when that random top 50 rappers of all time popped up. I couldn't, the thing that got me about people arguing with that was, who in the hell was the person that even put it up? Like, this is just a random dude, and it had the whole internet, from what I could tell, on fire talking about what he was saying. And it wasn't like, I get it if Rolling Stone puts out a list and you think it's preposterous. Yeah, I get arguing about that. That's like a magazine, a record of sorts. Man, you cats is out here duking it out over who? What? And it was so obviously done in a way that just made, like, the troll, like, I mean, the dude had Joe Budden as number three MC of all time, man. Play the troll was in effect. Anyway, so I made it through that day, but I'm not going to lie. What's the homie's name? Ebro uh, put the joint up uh, with his top 50, where he had J. Cole ranked higher than Rock Kim and didn't have Scarface on the list, and I about lost my mind. That's absurd. It's absurd. So, like, you can't fight it. You can't. You know, so, yeah, yeah, no, but people enjoy getting into these arguments. And I here's what I will say this. I do believe this. I talked to Nice Wonder about this once. You are allowed to like what you like. However, some things are better than others. You know what I'm saying? Like some things are legitimately better than others. You may like something that is not good and you can like it and that's fine. But some things are objectively better than others. And I think that you can say that when it comes to music. Um, So I don't buy this idea that, you know, it's just all a matter of personal opinion. Sort of, but not really. Right. So somebody said here, Jay-Z is objectively better than Joe Budden, for example. Yes. Now, the one thing I did think was kind of crazy in the way that people responded is that Joe Budden is not the number three MC of all time. And I don't think Joe Budden thinks he's the number three MC of all time. But y'all crazy if y'all out here acting like Joe Budden can't rap. Like, that's absurd. 
Joe can wrap his ass off. Like, there's a lot of room to have your problems and your disagreements with Joe, but saying that he can't rap is insane to me. Oh, here's the genius that pops up in the chat room with best is a subjective term to begin with. People love to throw it out around, boy. It is subjective. You don't say. You don't say. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Do you think that hip-hop will ever get to the point where older artists are appreciated, even to some extent considered cool for teenagers to listen to? Like rock and country. Um, so here's the thing that rock and country, and by the way, also like R&B soul historically have had going for them, is that your parents can more readily listen to the stuff around you. Because look, I mean, so if your parents loved Al Green, for example, there's no point in your life at which your parents could not like put on some Al Green. None. But if your favorite rapper is Ice Cube, you probably haven't been hearing that in the living room since you were eight years old. All right, just a guess here. But that's probably not how that went. You might hear some stuff when it plays on the radio, but with the exception of like a handful of markets, one thing we don't have is like an adult contemporary hip hop like platform on radio. And by the way, people don't listen to that much radio anyway. Um, so you don't have that. You don't have any like there is no like Rolling Stone of rap, for example. And I would argue that there's never really been a Rolling Stone of rap. And I say that understanding that the source did exist. But one thing I think we could argue that the source did not do a great job of was that. All right. So the source starts in 1989, I want to say. No, 1987, because 97 was the 10th anniversary. So like 1987, the source starts. By the time the source starts, we actually have like 15 years worth of hip hop that is taking place. And that rap was never really canonized by the press in a way that you have seen that happen primarily with rock and country, but also then kind of some of the black music acts that those rock and country writers enjoy. You know, but it, it's not it's not there. And so. It's not as easy, I think, to bridge the gap for a lot of younger people on rap that's before their time because they didn't they didn't really hear it. They didn't come up with it in that way. Um, Because like the idea that like, well, back in the day, that rapping was so simple. I mean, okay, cool. But like early rock and like going back to blues and stuff that stuff is absolutely simple and there was evolutions that happened beyond that but there seems to be a much easier road to get people to appreciate that which came before them in every like medium except for rap at least as far as i can tell you know but i think part of it is when when do you get to the point where you like indoctrinate people into it What, what throws me about it though that's just so wild is like Yo, man, like y'all don't know shit about the rap that came or the rappers in particular. Like, so let me throw this out here as an example. I've been arguing with people on the internet today about KRS-One. 
And I had so many people that I saw who referred to KRS-One as an 80s rapper. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, Chris was putting stuff out all the way through the 90s, like stuff that was relevant. You know, stuff with videos that people were watching. Like, this is all the way through the 90s. And he has just been instantly dismissed as an 80s rapper. And it's like, if it wasn't Biggie, Tupac, Dr. Dre, or Snoop, and it happened in the 90s, it's almost like y'all, like... Like, there's no consciousness that it ever happened. And that's so wild to me. Like, how the jump happened so fast, not in terms of, like, the actual music, but in terms of what the perception of those times were. And what I think that is largely is what rap was in the 90s has, it was probably defined more by MTV than it was by BET, even though BET was there documenting and covering these things. But a MTV concept of what 90s rap was is far more prevalent than a Rap City concept of what 90s rap was. Right, the 90s is the time that came around and rap was getting popular enough to be out there with enough white folks to where white folks stop feeling like they need to ask our opinion about stuff. Like That's why so many people... Like act like they've never heard anything that happened before 1992. So it says a lot of it was regional back in the 90s. Like, seriously, Dante, how old are you? Like, are you a person that was alive in that time? Or is that some shit you're saying right now being young when you need to be talking less and listening more? Because the sound of rap was definitely more regional in the 90s. Like now we've kind of, it's kind of homogenous, like what the sound is. I hear a beat and I really got no idea where that person is from. Okay, Dante, you have room to talk. But while the music and the sound was regional, the ability for music to catch on across the country did exist, like in different levels, in different places. But the idea like, yeah, New York, for example, which is so, like, crazy insular, and they weren't listening to a lot of stuff that was coming from the outside. Okay, cool. But, like, in a town like calling New Orleans, for example, New Orleans was getting a little bit of everything. Atlanta was getting a little bit of everything. Houston, well, we could have had a little bit of everything, but we just didn't really want nothing from the east. It wasn't really about that down that way. But they was there, you know? Um... But either way it goes, like the idea that we're doing these lists of people and like a guy like Big Daddy Kane or another one that's insane, you guys don't know how dope LL Cool J is. It's just mind-blowing to me that you guys don't understand how dope LL Cool J is. Let me tell you what LL Cool J is for you youngsters who don't understand. LL Cool J is low-key what Drake dreams of being. But he can't even pretend to be that dude. So he doesn't even try to play it in that same way. But you look at the template that he's going for. It is absolutely LL Cool J without enough of like the raw materials to be LL Cool J. And I don't even love LL Cool J like that. Like, I, like I'm not like I wouldn't call myself a huge LL Cool J fan, but I know that y'all have no appreciation for exactly what LL Cool J was. Anyway, I wanted to take a little moment to talk about KRS-One because I was talking about him on the Twitters. And this is what I said about KRS-One, and it's fascinating. That KRS-One in 1997 was unequivocally a top five all-time MC. You would not find anybody worth discussing who did not find him to be a top five all-time MC. Somehow, 
the other guys that were there around him in that top five are still treated with that same reverence. And KRS-One is completely forgotten and ignored. And I got people out here trying to tell me that Chris lost a battle to Nelly. Like, I remember the KRS-One-Nelly battle. Go check out the track that Nelly did about KRS-One, which, by the way, came before KRS-One dissed him. Then go check out what KRS-One did when he dissed Nelly. And y'all out here talking about Nelly washed him up. Like, y'all literally do not know what you are talking about. You literally do not know, right? And so the thing is, man, well, rap has evolved. Like, what about rap it has evolved so far beyond KRS-One? Like, what are you talking about? I mean, the flow now is more, okay, but are they better than KRS-One? If you want to say the flow is all sophisticated, that's fine. If you want to do that, that's cool, right? All you cats with your super sophisticated flow, ain't none of y'all better than Scarface. Now, the other thing, though, that I will say, though, um, about KRS-One, I do think it can be difficult to an extent for people to get on to the beats. I also think one thing I greatly value about him, and I think it should be noted, KRS-One, man, you can understand every single word that man was saying. Every single one. Like, there is something to be said for uh, clarity when you speak. And it ain't that easy to rap like KRS-One does. And you get out here, want freestyle, have a live show, or whatever it is. KRS-One is a monster. Do you hear me? The man is a monster. And so you don't believe it. That's cool. That's fine. What I really do recommend you do, you guys have all been to a live show and rap, and that can be a hit or a missed proposition. Um. Go check out one of those live KRS-One albums. Please understand. Like, I'm not even trying to, like, shame you for what you like or whatever it is. I'm just telling you, y'all might need to go check this out. Y'all really might. The other thing I mentioned about KRS-One, too, is that what KRS-One is is the blueprint for the conscious gangster. So, like, KRS-One as an MC is an OG to, like, Bun B, for example. Killer Mike is another great example of somebody who, like, descends straight from that KRS-One tree. One thing I think that happened with Biggie, for example, was Biggie flipped it from the conscious gangster to the flashy gangster, right? Because a lot of gangster rap that you have pre-ready to die is about dudes that are like, yeah, man, don't, you know, we out here holding, but at the same time, we see what's going on out here in these streets. We peep the game, whatever it is. Tupac, um, in his own way, certainly falls under this category. Biggie, on the other hand, Biggie was like, yo, yeah, yeah, you know, I be shooting, but at the same time, I like to get fly and go to the club. You know, that's a totally different archetype than the KRS-One gangster. And the gangster overall went into that KR, I mean, went into that Biggie direction and kind of away from the KRS one direction, but that's a huge pivot that I think the game ultimately made. Like really you think about what gangster rap was for a lot of these cats before and after 1994. Take it, think about it this way. I mean, Snoop, I guess to a degree might uh, be somebody discussing this also and shift in that pivot. But like you go listen to the chronic or something like that. You go listen, you even go listen to uh, the E-Fil foes agon. Hey man, those cats are still like talking about what's real. They're still talking about like what's in these streets, you know, and like like from from a very like this is the struggle sort of level. The biggie struggle is really the struggle of man, I gotta find a way to eat. But it is not really like about a broader world 
it is very much so about the life and times of Christopher Wallace. And I think that there was a shift in what the gangster and what gangster rap was after that. Like, there's a huge difference uh, content-wise between like the first two Ice Cube records and Ready to Die. Man, Ryan says, I'm 23 and I enjoy Kyra's one. I just, I think it's just hard to fully appreciate certain artists unless you live during their era. The generation after me will probably feel the same about Kendrick Cole and Wale. I guess that's the way it goes. Except the part that I think you're missing is that in other forms of music, we can easily appreciate people who came before us. I'm 38 years old and I love Prince. And rap, people have the hold up. Appreciate the question. Now, somebody says here, I'm not going to make a big thing of it. I'm just tell you because people are asking. I said, with her passing, did Tony, any of Tony Morrison's work have an impact on your life? As some of you know, I have some kind of weird rigidities about the way that I do things. And one thing I do that's rigid is I don't read fiction. So I've seen Beloved in theaters. I'm just not the right person to talk about it. But the thing I can tell you this about Tony Morrison. Um... I ain't never heard one person say about Toni Morrison. I mean, I don't really see why they be acting like she all that. And I've heard people say that about everybody. I've heard people say that about Maya Angelou. I ain't heard nobody say that about Toni Morrison. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. I know you love your hip-hop, but I also know you're a well-rounded dude. Do you mess with rock music? If so, what bands are you into? That right there is from a white person or a black person a little too impressed with himself for listening to music made by white people. All right, appreciate the question. Next one here is, never listen to Scarface. Where do I start? Well, coincidentally for you, sir, Today is the 17th anniversary of the release of the best Scarface album, which is a little ditty called The Fix. I recommend you go listen to The Fix tonight, right? After you listen to The Fix, I would recommend that you listen to Last of a Dying Breed, which is the record that came out right before The Fix. From there, I would recommend that you listen to The Diary. In fact, maybe you should go to The Diary first and then get to the other two. Like maybe go to The Diary, Last of a Dying Breed, and then The Fix. But the diary, um, the problem with the diary is it's a record that only really feels appropriate to listen to at night. And that shit is kind of scary. Like it is dark. That is the best way for me to describe it. It is dark, but and it is vivid and it is incredible. Uh, somebody in the chat room said, Face hates dying breed, and I have no clue why. Um, I read his book, and the thing he said about the, bro- the uh, Last of a Dying Breed in a book is that he does not even remember the recording of it as all he was doing during that time was taking drugs and listening to Van Morrison. And I really enjoy telling that, just so you guys know, that it's not just me. Scarface thinks Van Morrison is the shit, too. Also, by the way, read his book. It's really, really interesting. It's very well written. It's, it like speaks in a very natural voice. Um, I really recommend that. All right, let me see what else we got here. With the recent shootings, are you more paranoid when going out in public places? Uh, no. Nah. 
I don't know. I never even, I mean, and I think to a, yeah, no, I'm not. I guess that's all I got is no. I I hadn't even thought about that in that way. Like, if this was like when that DC sniper thing was cracking and I was in DC, yeah, I'd have been shook. I'd have absolutely been shook. This stuff, like, it's terrible. It's miserable. It's awful. Um, but it's not the kind of thing that's going to leave me like paralyzed in fear. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Notable artists getting disrespected on these lists coming out. As a young guy, it's been troubling seeing Wayne get so frequently snubbed. Um, well, let me say this one thing also that needs to be kept in mind. Um, so in 1997, the source put out their 100th issue and they did in that 100th issue, like some polls, like top greatest MC of all time, most influential, all that stuff. But they also did a list of top 100 singles of all time and the top 100 albums of all time in rap. And the truth is, that was not the easiest thing in the world to put together. And there were things that I thought were omissions when they did that. And that's on a list of 100. And that was 22 years ago. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it's going to be hard to do. Like a top 50 is going to, it should be at this point in rap's development. An absolute best of the best. It absolutely should be a best of the best. So, like with this list that went around with the, with the way I felt about it with KRS One, I didn't have Chuck D. Like, if at this point you want to say you don't think KRS One is a top ten rapper, you could probably make a plausible case. But the idea that he's not top fifty is absurd. The idea that Chuck D is not top fifty is absurd. The idea that Scarface is not top fifty is absurd. But at this point in rap's development, there should be some people that are excellent, that are all timers who don't make such a list. That being said, I have feared that as time would go on, Lil Wayne would wind up becoming overrated. Strangely, we're now reaching a point where I think he has become underrated. The first thing you got to remember, man, is Wayne been out here since I was a senior in high school. Right? And like Child Wayne is one of the best young rappers I've ever heard. He was like for that decade of the 2000s, you can make an argument that he's the defining rapper of that time. His influence is all over the game. He's had a longer career than most guys could ever dream of. Long careers of being like out front. Right? So like you think about back that ass up, man. That's 20 years ago. So if you want to make an argument for Lil Wayne is like top 10 or top 20, even if I don't necessarily agree, I can't, I mean, I can't knock you for it. All right? So yeah, it is weird to see people put him down like in those low 30s and stuff like that because nah, I think he's better than that. And I think he's got a kind of unassailable track record. Like the guy that's fun to me to see where people put on lists on these things now is Ludacris. Because Ludacris did everything in his career you could ever ask somebody to do. We just don't really like fuck with him like that. And somebody said Ludacris didn't age well. What songs are you talking about that didn't age well? 
And like he alluded to Debra changed his style. Okay, that's cool. But before he got old to you, like that dude had hits and not even hits that you had to feel bad about listening to. Ain't gonna wrap his ass off. Crush T.I. in a battle. Like he did it all. But I'm curious what these songs are that people say didn't age well. Uh, Brian says DMX is a guy I wonder about as well when thinking about his plays in history. Yo, let me tell you something I noticed, like something about DMX. I, I wound up in this um, rabbit hole the other day, but I want to I want to like run something by you that I think is going to shock you. So like if you go to the wiki page for a lot of years, it'll tell you like what record had the highest first week sales in that year. In 1998, highest first week sales was the Beastie Boys' Hello Nasty at 681,000. Number two, DMX, Flesh of My Flesh, and this is in within rap, just to be clear. DMX, Flesh of My Flesh, Blood of My Blood at 670,000, okay? That is 1998. 99, you know what record had the highest first week sales in hip-hop that year? DMX, and then there was X at 698,000. To put that in perspective, Jay-Z's Volume 3 came out that year and sold 462 in the first week. Um, Dr. Dre put out 2001 and sold 516. DMX sold 700 in the first week. Let me get you to another year. Now, 2000, I know Eminem is number one because Marshall Mathers came out, and that sold like a million and a half the first week. Ugh. And then number two is... I guess we're going to call Limp Biscuit rap. All right, whatever. Uh, is it 2001 that we get our next DMX record? Yes, DMX, 2001. Hip-hop record with the highest first week sales? DMX, The Great Depression, 439,000. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Let me see if I got another DMX record that we're going to get to. I'm just saying all this to tell you, DMX was a giant, giant, giant star. And I contend that if we had a more thriving, established, and, and permanent is the only way I can think to put it, though I guess that's the wrong way. But if the music press worked a little bit differently, man, DMX is a guy where I guess we kind of talk about him forever, you know, that sort of thing. But he's he's a very particular figure in the history of rap. If there's a rap hall of fame, DMX goes in it, even if you're just talking about DMX's first three albums. But he's a guy that's very easy for people to forget. DMX was a great rapper. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. What did you think of the YBN Cordae album? I thought the YBN Cordae album was really good. Uh, I need to give it another run. I only listened to it one time, but like this is what I can say about it. And this is if this is where I start after the first run, then I'm going to be inclined to go back through it. But these are the things that matter to me. It sounded good, and it felt like something. You know, like and I give a lot of room to what the something might be that it feels like, but it sounded good. And it felt like something. And that's a good place to start. Feeling like something is the most important thing, man. And that's what I thought that record had. Um, so I'm going to give it a little bit more of a run. I don't My understanding is that the rest of his crew gets down a little bit differently. But, uh, yeah, no, I thought it was good.
All right, appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Speaking of Scarface, did you see the PSA Jay Prince put on Instagram? I did see that. And apparently there's some dude in Houston who was selling pills with the Rapalot logo pressed on him. I would recommend you not do that. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. How big are your hands? Like every time I see you on TV, I think your hands are freakishly large. Like, what do you want me to do, measure them? Appreciate the question. All right, this is a good one. Which artists have you needed to see live to understand the hype? Oh, no question about it. Gary Clark Jr. Because the thing about Gary Clark Jr. is, like, I've listened to his studio stuff. Um, and... Like, it's cool, but that ain't what it is. So I went to the Roots Jam session during the Grammys last year in February. And I think he was the last act. And so the dude comes out there, and I don't know how tall he is. Like, I'm guessing he's about 6'5", but he looked like he was about 6'11". And he comes out in his, like, in his leather coat and the hat all tall and lanky, and he's got that guitar strapped on his back. And then he got on there, and he killed it. I was like, oh, my bad, dog. I had been selling you short. I thought that what Gary Clark was was just like the latest blues playing Negro. And like, there's a certain part of the music press and just music phantom who appreciates having an authentic, real live black blues man, you know? And so he fit the bill for this time. No, 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 no. He's a monster. And then I heard all kinds of stories about people being like they're at festivals and, you know, only a couple people at his stage. And then they start hearing him play it and they go through and then all of a sudden it's packed. All right, let's see what else we got here. We're getting down uh, to the end of the questions worth answering. Let me see what else we got. No, by the way, I did not listen to the new Chance the Rapper album. No, I don't feel like talking about Mario Lopez. Nope, don't want to talk about that. Nope, don't want to talk about that. I already talked about that. Nope, I do not watch Euphoria. Oh, okay, this is interesting here. Oh, damn, I just had it and it went away. There it is. I'm assuming this is true, just so you know, guy, but did you hear that the next FX American Crime Story is going to be about the Monica Lewinsky scandal, executive produced by Monica Lewinsky. I did not know that. This seems to be a kind of like broad use of the term crime, though I understand. Uh, hey, I'm here for it. I'm I, like that story there. That's one of those that I wished I was a little bit older when it happened so I could understand it because I really didn't get it. And being older and getting it now on many different levels. Yo, that was a lot. I, it would have been so wild if that had happened in this day and age. Whoo. Let me tell you one thing about that happening in this day and age. If that were to happen in this day and age, I don't think Bill Clinton could survive it. Just because the way we look at this idea of him having a relationship with a subordinate in his office is completely different. 
completely different. Um, like I, I like there's so many details that I'll get wrong if I try to do it right now. But no, we look at that completely different if it happened right now. So it'd be interesting if they do a good job with it, uh, seeing how they convey that on the television. All right, let me see. Is there anything else in here that I feel like answering? Oh, here we go. Did you check out slash enjoy the Black Lady Sketch Show? I did watch the Black Lady Sketch Show, and I did enjoy it. I thought it was good. Um, I guess there are two black people shows that came out this week that I watch. I know I don't watch a lot of TV. I watched that, and I watched Sherman Showcase. Now, I've been all over Sherman Showcase because I went to the Stevie Wonder concert in Denver um, about a month and a half ago. And, like, the concert was around some event that's designed for people to sell, like, pilots, like, television pilots. And they played Sherman Showcase, and it's a wild rhythm to it. Like, it's one of those where you need somebody to explain to you what it is before you watch it because we wasn't paying attention when they told us what it was. And then I watched it, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is really, really funny. The 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 one thing about it though, um, I liken it. I like. I'm gonna get to the black lady show in a second. Um, I liken Sherman Showcase to The Simpsons. Like there are that many jokes, like that level of density where there's a joke around at every turn. It's very Simpson like um, in that regard. The only thing about it is the tone is very level. Like, if this were on an equalizer, it wouldn't do a lot of peak. It doesn't do a lot of jumping up and down. Um, and so I think that can sometimes make it difficult for some of the viewers to, like, know, like, yo, there was a joke there. Like, you really kind of got to pay attention to get the jokes. The jokes just ain't going to grab you in that way. Uh, I So, like, I thought the end, I like the end now with the Black Lady Sketch Show, I thought it was really good. I thought the energy was different and the energy was a little bit better. Um, in that regard, and I think it would be more accessible in that way. I do know that there had been some discussion about whether or not the Black Lady Sketch Show was coming from like a relatable perspective or whatever it is. And is the only kind of content that y'all can enjoy the kind that you can relate to? Like, if it's not telling your particular story, like from your particular vantage, are you unable to to like get it? Because I find that to be, I mean, and like, I feel like this is something that's really only coming up with black people and coming from black people in large part. Like, yeah, I can't relate to who those people are. Right. But is it funny? Like, is it entertaining? Because I do think that part of the like diversity discussion when it comes to television and stuff like that is this idea that, you know, well, we want stuff that we can relate to also. And that's cool, but that's not the purpose of that stuff being on television. The purpose of the stuff being on television is if it's entertaining. Like, I don't feel like there's no public service. Like, you don't owe me a show that I can relate to. You owe me a show that entertains me, you know? And so even if I can't, like, directly relate to the experience, I can, like, I know a good joke when I hear one. Like, is it a requirement for you that you have to be able to relate to this directly and personally in your life? Because I find that to be a little bit weird if you do or that you're just a little narrow. I don't know. But no, I thought the Black Lady Sketch Show was very good. But I also do think that the rhythm of these shows, it is comedy that is done to a beat that I could make the argument that is not really a rhythm that black comedy typically goes to. There's a different level of subtlety to the jokes in these than I think than you often see 
in black comedy, right? They're trusting you to go get the joke rather than the joke being walked up directly in front of you, as can often be the case. Um, it is also obvious, like with the Black Lady Sketch Show, I know this has come up, that there's a lot of like pretty well-educated people who are writing that stuff. And it reads and sounds like pretty well-educated people are doing it. And I think the exposures of those very educated people is going to inform the comedy that is there. Um, but that's fine, at least for me. Like, that's cool. You know? Truth is, a lot of the stuff you've been watching on television was also written by highly educated people, but they didn't respect your intelligence enough to write stuff that sounded like it was highly educated. But anyway, yeah, I enjoyed the Black Lady Sketch Show. I thought it was good. All right, let me see if there's anything else I feel like answering before I get up out of here. Here we go. With Eddie Murphy signing that Netflix deal, finally, is Delirious still the best stand-up special of all time? Um, I don't know if it's been officially announced that Eddie signed that deal. Um, I mean, I saw the scuttlebutt, but I don't know if it actually got out there. Is Delirious the best stand-up special of all time? I'll be honest, it's been so long since I watched Delirious that I'm not sure. I'm going to tell you this, though. If Eddie does come out with a Netflix special, he going to have to answer for Delirious. And he should. Like Delirious is, uh, you go back, uh, Delirious, like just think of how Delirious starts. Uh, Delirious is kind of indefensible. Like it was actually pretty indefensible then also. So, like, I mean, I saw the thing where Andy Cohen got into it, where some guy was saying that he talked to, it was, and I, I'm assuming that the guy he was talking to was gay because I don't know who these people are by and large, but he asked him if he said anything to Eddie about his homophobia, and the dude didn't let Andy Cohen push him into it. I really didn't think that was a ridiculous question for Andy Cohen. Like, if this were a different circumstance and, like, like we make an analogous situation of, okay, you're a black person. Like, if you was a black person and you out here kicking it with Kramer from Seinfeld, they going to ask you, like, yo, so, like, what'd you say to him about that time he went wild on stage that night? And nobody would think that was ridiculous. Like, nobody would think that was a crazy thing to ask. And Delirious, I mean, and look, he kind of sort of doubled down on it with the next one, with a Raw. Yeah, no, 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 no. I don't think there's any way in the world that Eddie Murphy is going to resurface and he's not going to have to like really talk about where he is now versus where he was then when he did those specials, even if it was 35 years ago or not. I mean, yo, man, I think we can all say it may have been funny, but just because it was funny didn't mean it was cool. I see somebody says here he was 22 then. Okay. That's a fair point. He was 22. I think everybody gets room to grow, right? But I'm not going to be mad if somebody asked for Eddie Murphy to demonstrate his growth. I mean, really, no, no, no. Go back and watch it. Like, really, go back and watch it. 22 or not, it, it, it's, it's much. And again, it's right off the rip. Right off the jump. Guy says comedians don't have to apologize. Okay. 
Louis C.K. looking at you like, what you mean? Who told you that? Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Evening Jones. Try to do this thing every week or two or something. Somehow it was a little bit different. My man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Um, remember, uh, subscribe to The Evening Jones. Subscribe at the iTunes store. Subscribe on, check us out. Let me say, oh yeah. Check us out the iTunes store. We're also at Sound, uh, Stitcher on Stitcher Radio. You can find us on SoundCloud. Also, the Google Play Store. Um, yeah, I'm off today. Whatever. I'll holler at y'all. Peace.